Futurize goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist, author, investor, and serial entrepreneur. Join me as I discuss the societal impact of deep tech such as AI, blockchain, edge, nanotech, quantum, robotics, synthetic biology, and more, and tackle topics such as entrepreneurship, trends, the future work. On the show, I interview smart people with a soul, founders, authors, executives, and other thought leaders, and even the occasional celebrity. Futurized conversations that matter. In episode 157 of the podcast, the topic is energy industry transformation, and our guest is Carolina Torres, Executive Director of Energy Industry Transformation at Cognite. In this conversation, we talk about how software can help transform the energy industry and needed sustainability breakthrough. If you're new to this show or seek particular topics, you can check out the episode categories and you can find them at futurize.org slash episodes. At this stage, Futurize is lucky enough to have several sponsors. To check them out, you can go to futurize.org slash sponsors. And if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, you can go to the same place. Before you do anything else, please subscribe to our newsletter and just go on our website to do that. Thanks so much. Let's Carolina, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. I wanted to talk a little bit about energy uh, transformation and uh, how the industry is, is uh, doing that and uh, the, the role of software. But uh, you are a geologist. Now, that I can understand in terms of uh, the energy industry. Uh, to give us a little sense of how you uh, actually got to where you are now, uh, from geology to software. Sure. Um, so, yes, I started off my career as a geologist, um, and I started at Arco International and then transitioned to BP when BP bought Arco in 2000. Um, so I've had a 30-year career in oil and gas, mostly working in upstream. But really, I was purely a geologist maybe the first 10 years of my career. And then after that, I moved into more management roles and I was very involved in field development. And I got very, very interested and I've always been really interested in technology and innovation and how um, you know, we can improve what we do. Um, I've, I've just always had a very futuristic and sort of technology bent um, in the way I like to look at the world and trying new things. And uh, so the the last the latter part of my career was mostly around um, organizational change, technology, and innovation, and how to how to embed that and how to do change management around that. Um, and then the very last you know ten years of my career was very focused on that um, and looking at digital transformation uh, and embedding digital technology, um, agile practice, and things like that into, um, into the regular practice of engineering and geology in upstream. And my last role at BP was head of digital transformation for subsurface and wells. So figuring out how we can automate, um, and make more digital and innovate around how, uh, we manage a reservoir and how we drill wells into that reservoir. And um, how is that going? It's a, it's a, massive shift I can just imagine in terms of what the oil industry has been doing for 30 years versus, you know, I guess even just generation one of digital and then let alone what we're going to talk about now. How how, how was that, you know, in the early years of digital at, at BP was where people, I mean, you know, 
in, in other organizations, right? Going digital is like, you know, the IT department has all these things, but, but you're not just talking about the IT department. These are the operational day-to-day things that are changing, that changing everything about how they, how, how they look. Yeah. And, and actually out of everything energy. that an oil company does, drilling wells is probably the most um, integrated and variable activity that we, it takes every single department. So it's, it's the subsurface geology people, it's the drillers, um, it's logistics, it's um, environmental, everything is spoke, every single part of, you know, um, even things like finance and commercial and contracts and legal, everything is focused on that aspect of, um, of the upstream business. And so it takes, you know, you, the biggest lesson that I learned my first year as, as head of digital transformation in this space, we had, you know, the drilling department, the drilling organization, the function doing their own, you know, sort of digital transformation projects. We had the geoscience and the subsurface people doing it. We had, you know, the finance folks and the logistics folks um, and supply chain doing it. And they were all doing a different thing. Um, They were trying to digitize their part of the business. And what we ended up with is a massive mix up of, you know, duplication of effort and then the lack and and the gaps created in the uh, interfaces. Yeah. And so the biggest aha moment for me about a year into doing this and getting very frustrated was that we can't we can't do functional transformation. We have to actually do it in a much more integrated and holistic way. And the important thing to do is to look at, um, you know, the value chain as a whole or the process as a whole and digitize the process. Um, And the process is a very cross-functional integrated process with a lot of different components. And um, that, that was a big learning, I think, for uh, as part of BP's digital transformation journey, because it wasn't just in Wells. The whole entire digital transformation initially started as functional, dr- functionally driven, tra- you know, discipline driven transformations, and it didn't work very well. So, I mean, that's, that's interesting, but I mean, I'm guessing just having that insight is sort of like, I, I don't know, it's like not 10% there, right? Because if you say that's the challenge, then the challenge is enormous. So how, so both from the inside and the outside, I guess, right? Because if you're a provider of that technology, you need to need to understand everything about BP's business, uh, uh, right? And, yeah. and if you are on the digital side, well, you need to understand your business in ways you never imagined. Uh, well, I mean, I think that's why having a data operations uh, foundation is the really important, you know, it's all, it's always a data problem. It always boils down to a data problem. And the big, big issue we had in Wells is we had um, vendors that supplied particular functionality um, in, in very narrow discipline focused ways. So we had, you know, the geologists had their software and the drillers had their software and the finance people had SAP. And the logistics people had their other, you know, sort of logistics or supply chain software. And none of that was integrated and nobody could see anybody else's data and which created a massive amount of friction and the you know, a huge barrier to being able to do things in a different way. Yeah. 
because everything, all the data is in its own separate little silo. And then you have this little tiny pipeline of, you know, people talking to each other (laughs) that, you know, to actually be able to connect the dots and it's way too slow. It doesn't work. Um, So having, uh, so I brought Cognite in, which is the company I work for now. Um, I brought Cognite in, in that role as head of digital transformation for subsurface and wells as a wells data platform um, to bring all of that data together in one place and integrate it, contextualize it, and and basically liberate that data so that everybody, a driller would be able to see how much did we spend on drill bits for the past 10 years? And where in the world are they doing a better job of, you know, having a contract around drill bits (laughs) compared to where I am? Uh, and, and, you know, be able to integrate from finance to logistics, you know, of how you get the drill bit out offshore to, you know, the, the materials that the drill bits are made out of. Everything is available to everyone. Um, and that creates an, an, an environment where you can make much better decisions and get much more efficient. Hmm. All right. So, so BP started that journey. What about all the other uh, companies in the space? Have they all had a similar trajectory? Or would you say, just looking at the industry overall, I mean, now at Cognite, I'm sure you know, you're trying to get more of them as clients. Is it, is it a mixed bag? I mean, were the organizational and technological preparations of these oil companies, were they all re- really similar? Or, or are you finding as you're going in there to look at it that it's not just messy, but it's actually radically different or are they all built on the same really varies by company a lot it varies there you know the degree of digital maturity varies a lot um and you know even their their aspirations hopes and dreams vary a lot and the strategies that the different companies have about how to tackle the challenge varies a lot Hmm. some companies just want to you know buy a one-size-fits-all piece of software, you know, that is going to solve all their problems. They just want to put everything in one place and do that. Some companies want to build their own sort of data operations platform using Microsoft, um, Azure, or AWS, or something like that. But they have, you know, they have a, a, a dream of actually, they think that it's competitively advantageous for them to like build their own sort of platform and system for doing this. Um, some companies don't even realize yet that data is actually the problem. They're still focusing on tools um, mm. and and sort of forgetting that um, they still have these data silos that are going to uh, prohibit them from gaining new insight. So it really varies. And what's interesting is it doesn't necessarily coincide with like the little guys versus the majors. There are majors that are very, very um, advanced and, and you know, they've got a whole upskilling strategy around turning all of their regular domain experts into data scientists um, and, uh, you know, having a very, you know, mature view of what the data operations means and that it's very different from just data management um, and then there's some majors that are not there yet. Like even as, as you know, big majors that make billions and billions of dollars, they're still kind of like focusing on tools and not really thinking about the data that much. Mm-hmm. And then you have the little guys too. And we have some small companies that we work with that are massively innovative and um, 
really, really thinking through how they can develop, you know, create a data platform that then they can just create a bunch of different algorithms to generate insight and are really, really focused on um, uh, really thinking through differently how they do things. So, so that's that's very interesting. I do want to talk a little bit about, I guess, two things. You know, what specific ambitions uh, do you think is is possible to have, and you know, what what these companies specifically want want to do, whether it is, you know, predictive maintenance or fixing, you know, problems, uh, sustainability, a uh, bunch of different things, but also the, the the cost side. You know, there's a lot of hype in this area, and of course, it would be easy to say, well, look, you know, with digital done right, you can do X. But what is your realistic assessment and what sort of numbers are you using when you're trying to argue how a reasonable, you know, digital strategy can impact a company? And what are the timelines that you that, that you operate with? I mean, does a digital transformation from, not from scratch, but from wherever people are, which I understand to be fairly different, what does a digital transformation journey take today in an asset-heavy, um, you know, energy industry? So I think one of the big things is um, agility and and sort of agile thinking as opposed to waterfall thinking. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if you, you know what I mean by those terms. Of, you know, well, maybe you can thinking. define them because I, yeah. you know, I, I think I have a, a, a sense of it. But you know, if let me paraphrase a little bit, waterfall being you know you plan forever and then you implement forever without any connection between the two, and that was the traditional way, I guess, of doing software implementation because it was perceived as, as a specialist thing that people had to just build and then they had to just implement and I guess integrate. You're you're saying agile meaning iterative, uh Very sort of like sprints and feedback yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's you know, and I and I do think it's um it, it's not like you digitally transform and then you're done. The reality is you're going to digitally transform forever. So you need to come up with a digital transformation system and process and mindset that is going to be continuously evolving and transforming. It's not a once and done thing. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, if, if you if you think about a waterfall process where you, you know, you figure out where where are we now and what's the end state and what do we need to do and let's plan it all and figure it all out and then execute it over a long period of time and then we'll be done, that's not gonna work. It's like you have to develop, you have to create a machine for constant transformation digitally. Does that mean um, that you lower your ambition uh, short term because you're not actually trying to fix or set some sort of optimal state? You're just saying, we're, we're gonna crack, take a crack at this problem because it seems to be a big bottleneck. And then hopefully by fixing this, we fix another problem and then we'll you know, yeah. put in a bigger fix later. You're not actually trying to create an ideal state. You're not saying this is the big goal. There's yeah, a, a I mean, lot you, have of small to have, you do have to have a kind of a larger vision, but at some point you have to pick one little strand of spaghetti and start pulling on it and really focusing on it. And also being mindful and capturing your learnings as you're doing that, because then you can apply it to the next string of spaghetti. Hmm. So um, it, it it is that that's kind of the agile mindset of, you know, starting off with a minimum viable product for one asset, figuring out what works and what doesn't work, and then scaling from there, and then taking the next, you know, strand of spaghetti and, and pulling on that. But again, starting small with a small concept, you know, can I gain a 10% efficiency by having my operators be able to see 
you know, all this data yeah. um, and, and then scaling that up. Yeah. So, so moving then to the exact approach that you're taking where, you know, where you work right now, what exactly is it that y- your model is? I mean, you, you have your own software model, software solution, or is it a mix of things that you just have a bunch of sort of approaches and algorithms, and then you have to adapt it, like you said, to the different contexts? Is it, is it somewhere in between, or do you, do you sort of have a thing that you give to people and then they kind of become uh i guess embedded into your your system which because you were saying before you know some companies want to own their system others are happy to have us or have others you know solve the problem for them and i guess have a third party system running on their you know on their most uh cared for operational process yeah um so our main product is this thing called cognite data fusion which is a set of um, programs and algorithms and machine learning and AI algorithms that that we've built that help um, a company take data from multiple s- sources, um, whether it's sensor data, production, you know, uh, real time production data, um, and, and even things like documents, um, unstructured data, and you know, stuff that sits inside of a bunch of vendor um, specific data models brings it all together into a single place. And then the, the special sauce that we have is we have a mechanism for contextualizing that data and connecting it and understanding the relationships uh, between those different data points. So for example, if you have a, um, an as-built, a blueprint of uh, a, a system, like a gas compression system on your offshore facility, um, or, or an assembly line or whatever, the machinery there. Um, you've got a blueprint of that, but then associated with uh, that piece of equipment or that, that system of multiple pieces of equipment, um, you know, there's all kinds of information associated with that stuff. There's all the maintenance records of everything that's ever been done to it. There's, you know, the original, the spec of that equipment, how it's shelf life, um, all kinds of different things. And all of that data can all be brought together and contextualized so you can find it very easily. Hmm. Um, so you can click along that um, blueprint and click on a piece of equipment and pull up whatever information is useful about it. Um, that you you might need, or you can combine the different pieces. And so that's just how you visualize it and navigate it. But also each of those different components would have a, an API or some sort of a, a mechanism that would allow you to write a, a code that would pull it up and, you know, do um, a trend analysis or, an, uh, you know, some sort of statistical analysis or some sort of calculation on it. So Carlina, I'm, I'm curious about what, uh, you know, this sort of software, to what extent is this aimed at kind of automating processes uh, versus actually sort of augmented operator, augment, augmenting operators' uh, ability to sort of uh, act on their own uh, situation? Because, you know, there's a lot of potential in machine learning to automate things and make it very easy for machines to understand machines. But it sounds to me like you're also trying to contextualize it, meaning making it understandable for humans, operators, leaders. Uh, yes, at what level, about- you know, at what level is the analytics available uh, to use? So it, the the platform, the data operations platform, 
yep. which is an ever fresh, evergreen, you know, new data can continuously come in and the thing learns how to contextualize that data continuously, yeah. um, is meant to be both for both of those things. It's once you have that data operations happening, you can see where you can automate more, you can actually use the data for automation, and you can also use the data for developing dashboards or decision other decision support calculations that you might need. Um, and some of that we do ourselves. So we have a service branch in our company that will help companies that don't have the ability themselves to do, you know, to write some data science, some algorithms, some calculations, whatever. So we have the capability to provide that as a service or um, a lot of our customers do that themselves now. The more sophisticated ones already have their own data scientists or even just their domain experts, their drilling engineer who has a little bit of Python can just go in there and, you know, there's a like a citizen developer sort of platform where they can go in there and do their own analysis. Or yeah, that's what we I also was... provide for third party, anybody that the operator wants to bring in can also use our platform to pull data in and do stuff. So all three of those things are possible. Well, the citizen developer perspective you just brought out is interesting because, I mean, at its very core, uh, I mean, eventually you're sort of saying with citizen that that everybody, citizen meaning, I guess, every worker uh, at every level in the organization at some point should get something out of this uh, yes. analytics. But that's a that sounds to me like a, a long haul vision. Where are we now? If we're sort of moving maybe more to sort of the future outlook, if we're looking at where the asset industry has been, where the oil and gas and energy industry, you know, is transforming to... Can you give us a sense of, you know, what is really happy, happening at the inside of these industries right now? And what what are the, I guess, the needed breakthroughs before these industries will truly change into, I guess, what we all hope they will, uh, which is, you know, truly sustainable industries that really will know what they're doing and are not, you know, damaging the environment, right? Because that's kind of the elephant in the room here is we're not just transforming these industries for fun. And to make more money, they have had a tremendous carbon footprint. So I'm assuming that, you know, part of the work that you're doing deeply actually affects the ability to, to go sustainable because, well, I imagine that, you know, going sustainable without digital would be really hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to say sustainability is a data problem. And it, it's because, first of all, most companies right now don't even know what their footprint currently is. Like, just what's the baseline? So that's often a very first step is, you know, what are we currently doing? What is our baseline? And they need to know it at an enterprise level. They need to know it at an asset level. And they often need to know it even at the equipment level. Um, so... You know, there's there's three things. I like to break down the problem into sort of three main things. And, and we've been very focused on reporting um, because people have been responding to requirements and regulations around reporting. And that's a very backward looking historical look. It's, you know, the reporting up till now has been, um, let me look back over 2021 and try to come up with an estimate of what our greenhouse gas emissions were. For 2021, and I'm going to do that mainly by going into SAP and pulling up, um, you know, all of my fuel invoices and multiplying them by some factor that gives me greenhouse gas emissions. 
um, okay, that's great. It's a, and it's, it's an approximation and it's acceptable right now as a reporting mechanism by the, you know, by the regulators. It won't be for long though. Pretty soon they're going to want something a lot more accurate and better than that. Um, and there's also a, a lot of requirement for transparency by consumers and the financial uh, industry around, um, you know, ESG reporting. So, so you're talking becoming, about real real time analytics on ESG as correct. opposed to just <clears throat> reporting yeah. what what your sins were in the you know in the past year. Yeah, there's nothing actionable about going back and saying I estimated my greenhouse gas footprint for last year by you know doing this calculation. Like actually, to to do something actionable, you need real time data. So you need to be able to. Um, assess what your greenhouse gas emissions are at any given moment for any piece of equipment, because then you can do something different about it. So one example is we have a, a customer, this is actually a drilling uh, customer that was interested in a drilling uh, platform, data platform, similar to, to what I brought into BP. And this customer started off putting all of their drilling data, historical well data and stuff into this platform. And then their rig contractor that they were contracted with said, oh, we're really interested in trying to figure out how um, our rig emissions um, corresponds to different drilling activity on the rig. So once, you know, basically all that required is that the rig contractor enable this uh, operator to consume their, um, their sensor data for their rig emissions, which they did. And then they were able to contextualize that and mix that with the rig activity codes that were being calculated um, as part of the real-time drilling data that, you know, we're drilling the well and it, it knows based on what's happening, whether you're drilling ahead or whether you're pulling out of the hole or whether you're cementing or whatever activity you're doing. So they were able to contextualize both the emissions data from the rig and the activity. Um, and once you pull that together, you can start to see, okay, certain activities take up, you know, burn more gas and, you know, create more emissions, how can we reduce that? And why is it better at this rig than that rig? And why, you know, you can start to optimize and say, we're going to, we're going to optimize our operations to reduce emissions. Um, so that ability to optimize the operation to reduce emissions didn't exist until you brought those two things together and created a way to, to visualize it and analyze it. Well, the way you're uh, talking about this just reminds me again of, you know, that the immense challenge of cyber physical systems. And I mean, the, the data that you're operating on here is, I guess, one of the best example in the examples in the world, right? It's one thing to sit there and build a perfect software solution and, you know, I don't know, release it as a search engine or something where a consumer is nicely sitting at their desk, drinking their coffee and doing all the hard work. But what you're talking about is all of these data layers and contextualization, but then it affects real physical infrastructure yeah. that is expensive, faulty, and in the real world, and some of it offshore, right? Subject to waves and craziness and weather. So this doesn't seem to me as an easy problem to, to move fast with. How, uh, how is the prospect for true change in this industry? Are you optimistic, uh, realistic? Like, where, 
this is going to take a while, right? To to I, I, to really I, digitize. Know, I am super optimistic about this, Tron. I, <laughs> okay. I really am. I think that we are on the inflate. Okay, I mean, you've heard about the change. Change is exponential, right? There's like right. this hockey stick, you know, analogy that people use, and I think we are like right there in the little dip of the hockey stick. I really do. I think it's been, you know, a slow slog and this pertains to sustainability as well. But the technology is there. Um, and and I think um, that hockey stick thing happens. Every, I mean, we see it at, at our project level, like we get a new customer. Um, they 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 want us to do a little pilot. We bring in a bunch of data, and they they have in their mind like maybe one or two use cases for that data. But as soon as it's all in there, it's like it just takes off. It's like oh, we have all this data in there. We can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this. It's it's like it it really does kind of have that exponential um, curve to it. And I and I think that you can even take that out to a broader sense. Um, around sustainability and um, how the world is, you know, climate change and the energy transition. I think we are at that cusp of where we, we've been going along at the bottom of the hockey stick at a very sort of linear rate. So uh, Carolina, invite us into your world here because I want to believe this is true, but I guess it's hard for me to visualize what happens at the top of that hockey stick. Like, where is it that you're going? Are you talking, you know, the BPs of the world with like Apple-like uh, growth in revenues? Or are you talking me sitting there saving biodiversity because these companies are not polluting as much uh, anymore? Or what is at the top of that hockey stick that we should be so excited about? So I, I don't think that we're ever, humans are ever going to be at a place where they have no impact in the environment. Like we get to a, a zero impact. We are, you know, we're humans, we're, um, you know, organisms on this planet and we're going to have an impact. We consume energy. That, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yes. we consume energy and we create waste. <laughs> um, so I think that, uh zero impact is is not feasible but i think that there is such a huge gap between the way we are acting now and the way we are now in our environment and the way we're fouling our our environment and consuming energy and fouling our environment and where we could be um and we could be much much more balanced and much much more sustainable than than we currently are and and i think that the vision is there and the will is there and we're getting there we're getting there in terms of wanting to to do it and the technology is there. What's the timeline though? I was trying to challenge you on the timelines. I mean, you know, yeah. in the uh, uh, climate conferences, they try to set timelines and, you know, it used to be 2030, <laughs> trouble with 2030, it's, it's around the corner. Now it's like 2045 and then people are, you know, 50 and 60 and 70. And then people are scared about 2100 because, you know, in the worst of the climate scenarios, that would be four degrees increase of temperature by 2100, you're in real trouble. Uh, even at two degrees, you're talking about some 25 to 40% of the uh, species, you know, under threat. What are the timelines for a true sustainable shift, you know, not to, not to zero impact, but to a radically better uh, footprint for, for the industry and for, for energy use overall? Yeah, I mean, I think somewhere before 2040 is realistic to think about. Um, you know, if you think about the transition from horse-drawn carriages to cars, it was literally 20 years. Um, that, and, and think about the infrastructure that was required for that. You know, all the people, 
all the all the mechanisms that supported this sort of horse horse industry, right? Stable masters and grooms and farriers and buggy builders and saddle makers and you know people that transported oats from the countryside into the city and people that transported manure out of the city and that back to the country. I mean, it was a whole economy, right? And 20 years later, it was gone and you had cars and that required building roads and, you know, licensing systems and, you know, all kind laws and, you know, creation of car mechanics from, you know, farriers or whatever. I mean, that is, you know, in 20 years, the world changed really significantly. And, you know, I think if you go back to, um, you know, pre-computers and computers and it's, it's actually accelerating. So I think that um, I, I don't think we should underestimate the change curve um, and and how quickly that that things will change. Yeah. Um, I think you know obviously there's obstacles in the way. There's you know inertia, greed, apathy, lack of imagination by a lot of people. But I, I think the counterforces in the world are uh, are are really strong and really at the very core you know, economic forces favor change over stasis. Yeah. You know, the economy grows when new stuff happens hmm. um, and, and humans are capable of enormous adaptability and innovation. So hmm. um, I'm very hopeful. <laughs> I'm yeah, hopeful it's, at it's, the direction that it's going. Yeah, it's it's great to hear that. So, um, you know, any last thoughts then on, on where this is going? I mean, do you have uh, any sort of specific uh, things that you think uh, the industry should be aware of as they are digitizing towards this this future. Is there is there some core message that you wish that uh, I guess the industry had before you got to them with your product? Some some sort of preparation that everybody really needs to do to to digitize, not just faster, but but more sustainably, more more responsibly, and you know, I guess more efficiently at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I see a, a very wide range of responses. There are still people that are stuck on the sort of the reporting um, and sort of work to the regs. We just want to comply kind of mentality. You can understand that, though, right? Yeah. Because even that you're talking about the horses and carriages. But I mean, it, it has been hard to comply because they haven't had the software tools. So they have been digging in there systems for invoices, right? It's it's not yeah. fun work, I'm assuming. No, no. Um, but, uh, you know, and then I have other folks that are really seeing the opportunities that the change um, and the energy transition can bring. So I, I guess what I would tell folks is that I, I do think that there's going to come a time where you evolve or you die. Um, and, you know, it's better to get up to the front of it rather than wait to be the laggards in that space. Carolina, my last question then is, you know, evolve or die. Are you confident that the players that are here today are the ones that will evolve or die? Or are we at an inflection point in the industry where what it is to be an energy company at the end of the day is so different that even if you're going to be extractive in the extractive industries, they will be new generation companies taking over? Or, or do you think it's going to be a mix? I think it'll be a mix. I mean, it is much harder to change a big machine um, into something new than to start something new. In, in the oil business, we call it a brownfield problem versus a greenfield problem, right? Yes. You know, like changing an existing 20-year-old facility and modernizing it is costs more money, is much more complex, and has a lot more risk than, you know, just building a new one. 
Um, that's the reality. But I think that uh, there's there's some companies, and I'd have to I have to admit it's mostly European companies because there's been a big drive in Europe, um, you know, to to switch over to to make that energy transition uh, compared to the U.S. Um, I, th- I feel like a lot of the European companies are really, really doing some interesting things and really thinking about this hard and, and realizing that they're going to have to evolve and die. Many of them are partnering with new companies or buying new companies to kind of get there, which I think is an interesting strategy. Hmm. So, interesting. Um, but are you counting the Americans out? You know, they, the, the way it happens in other industries is once once American companies get the point, they go big, right? So they they do it all wholesale, big change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm hoping that happens. I'm hoping there's a little bit of FOMO that happens because right now all the technology and innovation is happening elsewhere, and you know, hopefully we'll switch on at some point and be like, oh, give me some of that future. Wow. Instead of being on, stuck with our heads in the sand saying, oh, no, no, there's always going to be oil. <laughs> wow. Well, on that note, Carolina, uh, Carolina, thank you so much for uh, your your views. Uh, it was uh, uh, enthusing to, to, to just get a sense of where you see the industry moving. So thank you so much. Thanks, Trond. We appreciate it. You have just listened to episode 157 of the Futurized podcast with hosts Trondarna Unheim, futurist and author. In this conversation, we talked about energy industry transformation. And my takeaway is that digitizing heavy asset industries is a key challenge of our time, and it won't be easy. Luckily, there are ways to go about it, and software is key to the transition because it allows the industry to track its progress. We can only hope the analytics is used to speed up the process rather than doing the minimum because our ecosystem depends on it. And perhaps we can do more than hoping as we can put uh, each put pressure on our employers and governments and local city councils and make investment choices and practice sustainability. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, please subscribe at sufuturize.org or in your preferred podcast player and do rate us with five stars if you can. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 123 on regenerative business, episode 70 on the future of clean tech, episode 126 on industrial biomanufacturing. Hopefully you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes, and if so, do let us know by messaging us. We would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. To find us on social media is easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized. Conversations that matter.